20 years. <laughs> I want to echo what Steve said. Um, I look around, I see a handful of you that have been here the entire 20 years. I see a number of you that have been here for several, and then some that are brand new here. I know some, this is the first time you're here. And whatever the case is, we're ecstatic that you're here to celebrate with us today. The, the Gospel of Luke begins with this verse, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, many people have tried to tell the story of what God has done among us. And it is my incredible honor and privilege to try to tell you the very condensed story of what God has done at the harbor the last 20 years. You must know this. The harbor is God's church. It always has been. It always will be. And from the very beginning, God's been writing the story of the harbor. A number of you know that there were five couples that started this church, but you may not know that, that none of us ever dreamed about starting a church. We never planned to start a church. We never even wanted to start a church. <laughs> 1997, as a fall, Marie and I had gone on vacation to the mountains in southern Arizona. We were maybe halfway through the week, and I was outside praying one day, and, and there was this very sudden, unexpected sense I had that God was telling me he wanted us to start a new church. Now, six years prior to that, I had quit the oil business at the, the persistent, unwavering direction of God to become a pastor. I'd quit the oil business. I'd gone to seminary. Now, I was, at that time, I was a, a pastor in a mainline denomination. And uh, when I was in seminary, one of my professors had urged me again and again to take his class on starting churches. And at the time, I said, there's, there's no need for me to take that class I, I get it. Uh, you start a church, there are no people, there are no buildings, there's no money. Like God bless the people that do that, but I will not be one of them. And so this thought, this clear thought was coming that God was saying, I want you to start a church. I didn't say anything to Marie. I didn't want the reaction that that, that might bring. And so we went home and I continued to pray and Increasingly, God was saying, I want you to start a church. So one morning, I called Marie from the office, and I said, would you meet me at a fast food restaurant for lunch today? So we met, and very quickly, I just I got right into it because she was going to be my out on this. She had, she had given up so much. She had risked so much. Not even God would ask her to give up more. She would be my out. My deal with God was, look, if she says no, you wouldn't want to separate us over this, I know. So, so the answer is no to starting a church. So I began to tell her that I felt God was leading us to start a church. And then I spent the bulk of my remaining words to make it very clear to her how risky this was. I told her, you understand there are no people, there would be no building, there'd be no money. And I said, now we're in this big denomination. They have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of churches. They have people, they have buildings, they have salaries, even modest as they are. We will always have food on the table, but I don't know about this. I finally quit talking she looked at me for a long moment thinking and then asked, do you really think God wants us to start a church? And far too much honesty, I said, yeah, I really think he does. To which she said, all of the years he's led us, he's been faithful at every single turn. He'll be faithful now as well. We should do it. My first thought was, oh, no. And you were my out, and you're not my out any longer. And, and we had shared among us for the six years since I left the old business, and we had walked away from a lot. We had shared this little, little phrase among us about how we had burned the ships. And it was the phrase we used to say that we understood we were to walk away from the old business forever. 
We want to leave some, some lines back to it, some opportunities back to it to go for a trial basis. We were to burn the ships. We'd burn the ships. And so we're sitting there, and Marie looked at me and saw my response to her yes. And, and she said, well, honey, we've already burned the ships. Let's burn the rowboat too. <laughs> so by God's leading, um, he prompted us to go to four couples and ask them to pray about joining us in starting a church. Now, mind you, they had never dreamed of this. They never planned of it. They didn't even want to start a church. But they, but they were kind enough to ask God. And in each case, he prompted them to say yes. And just out of sheer obedience, they said yes. And, and I have to tell you that um, the gratitude that I have for the people I've already mentioned, the gratitude I have for Marie, if it weren't for her bold faith in Jesus, there would be no harbor. But just as much so if it weren't for these four couples that boldly said yes, if it weren't for them and their faithful obedience, there would be no harbor today. There would be none today. God has been building the harbor from the beginning. He had placed within the ten of us, within each of us, a deep passion that everyone would come to know Jesus and follow him. We understood to a measure how much he loved us and how much grace he'd poured out on us and the new life we had, and someday we would have heaven with him. And, and somehow he put this burning desire in us, recognizing that it wasn't that he loved us more than anyone else. He loved us as much as everyone else, and that, that he wanted everyone to find him. And not just find him, but, but to live with abandon for him. A couple of verses that, that had deeply impacted us. One of them was 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. In the message, it says it this way about God. He wants not only us, but everyone saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned. That was deeply embedded upon our hearts and our passions. And then John 10.10, Jesus says this. He says, the thief came only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life, life in all of its fullness. And we, we deeply believed that following Jesus was abandoned would be the best life to live. Now, we weren't uh, didn't have blind eyes. We, we understood it didn't mean the easiest life or the most painful life, but it would be the best life, and we yearn for others to, to pursue that life with us. We yearn for them to pursue that life with us. God's been writing the story from the very beginning. January 4th, 1998 was the very first service of the harbor. I have a picture of that service. It was in Bob and Ginger Boone's living room. It was in their living room, by the way, of the, the four founding couples, two of them, like 20 years later, they're still here. Bob and Ginger Boone, Jack and Candace Horn. 20 years down the road, they love Jesus with more passion than then, than then, more love for his church than then, serving more than them. This was the very first service at their house. And that morning, someone had had this, uh, this thought at the last minute that we needed some publicity. So they put a big sign out front so people could find the church. And so... <laughs> It says Friendswood Community Church, which was our name the first 19 years. And it's as though someone would be out for a Sunday drive and see the sign and say, Oh, a church, I think I'll pull in. There's no, no uh, time that the church church would be. And if you know their, their place, they live in these deep woods. And if I thought there's anything back there, it's probably a cult. It's probably not a church. And so who's going to follow the sign? But the cost of that sign blew our budget for that first month, I think, then. That was, that was more than we had budgeted for the month for everything, I think, then. So that was where it all began. And then the very next week, we began what we, we've called the school years. There were six years that we were in three different schools. Um, so if you can imagine, every single week we had these passionate volunteers 
that would take first one trailer and with time two trailers. They would load up every single thing we had to do ministry with. All of the sound equipment, all the instruments, all the children's ministry, all the resources, all the coffee pots and coffee makers, everything we had. Again, first one trailer, then two. Early Sunday morning, they'd be taking the trailer. They would go unload everything, set it all up. At the end of the services that we had, then they would load it all up again, do it again and again. Six years, over 300 times they would do this. And, and the, there are a thousand memories of the school years. In the very beginning, we had one person, Jack Horn, that knew about sound systems. But the problem was we had one person that could play drums, which is Jack Horn also. And he couldn't do the sound system and play drums at the same time. But he said, I have this really good friend, Mark McGee. Mark doesn't know Jesus, but he knows sound systems. I think I'll invite him. And maybe he'll be generous and kind, and he'll come for a few weeks, and he'll run sound system, and then we'll find somebody. And so Mark very graciously came and came back the next week and the next. And as he came back again and again, he, he felt the love of people for him. And he felt people's love for this Jesus. And he watched people, this small little crowd, authentically worshiping the God of the universe. And, and uh, he heard the good news about Jesus again and again. And six months in, the summer of 1998, the day came that Mark McGee gave his life to Christ. His brand new life. And what Mark didn't realize is that, is that God had been writing Mark's story all along. But it wasn't until then that, that Mark stepped into God's story for his life. Mark, if you know him, if you knew him back then, he's just increasingly become this way. Deeply, deeply loves Jesus. It exudes out of him. And now, 20 years later... Almost every single Sunday, like today, Mark McGee has here, been here working tech system with us for a thousand Sundays. The impact that he's made upon the kingdom of God again and again and again. He had no idea I was going to say this today. No idea, but he's doing it again today. There were a thousand memories from that time. There were a thousand memories of that time. Along the unfolding of six years, we... We were clear that we were very limited in ministry to have a school facility for a few hours Sunday morning. That was it. That's all we had. So we knew we had to have land in the facility one day. So we prayed a long time. We searched a long time. We, we finally um, felt God was leading us to buy this property. Indeed, the, the day came we bought this property we're on now. We had this celebration going, which was quickly interrupted in a matter of days because it was revealed that there was some key information that had been withheld from us. Uh, a man that was on the board of the drainage district said, uh, didn't you hear that this property can never be built upon? We were, we were devastated hearing that. He said, here's the problem. It's, it's too flat. It won't drain. And not only is it too flat, it's completely flat with all the drainage outlets. And he said, in this drainage district, you can't dig detention down and use pumps. It has to be gravity flow. And this is too flat. It's flat with the outlets. It'll never drain. That's why it's been a cow pasture all these years. I mean, we were we were shocked and devastated. And I was out here on this property, probably standing about where I'm standing now. And I was saying to God, I'm like, please forgive us. We really thought you said to buy this property. And obviously we heard wrong and I'm so sorry. We, it wasn't out of a bad heart. We just missed your lean. Please forgive us. And then I thought, well, we got a million dollar cow pasture. And so I, I said, well, God, if you were us, if you were in our shoes, what would you do? And instantly I, I heard him say, I would move a mountain. And I have to say, shamefully, with all too little awe, I said, easy for you to say. <laughs> and instantly I thought of Jesus' words in Matthew 17, 20, where he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, 
You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. I, I was staggered by that thought. It seemed that, well, certainly we got flat land. That's a problem. A mountain would solve it. But, but I was thinking, I'm an engineer. I was thinking, it's got to cost a fortune to move a mountain. Have, have you ever actually researched that and find what it costs to literally move a mountain? But it seemed there was enough hope there that God was saying, it, I do the impossible. And so the board and leaders and all, we, we all began to pray. We huddled up. Raymond Butler, a good friend of ours, and he was at the church for many, many years before he moved away, resourceful businessman, we asked, would you lead this effort? Would you help us find every site that has available dirt, a lot, a mountain of available dirt that would also pay to move the mountain here? <laughs> so he came up with this list with help of 20 places. And I said, keep me posted on it. So he called me about half a dozen in and said, well, there's not even a whiff of interest, but, but I've only talked to half a dozen. We still have a lot of them left. And I said, yeah, yeah, we'll keep praying. My, my faith was still in there. He calls me at about a dozen and said, again, there's not even a sign of hope that someone's interested, but we still have a few to go. And I said, yeah, yeah, we've got some to go. And I could feel my faith going out the door. He calls me and says, soon after, he says, I've talked to 19 and none of them even budged. And there's one left. I said, well, Raymond, go ahead and call the last one, and then Sunday I'll, I'll tell the church we failed. And we had a million-dollar cow pasture out there. He would call back and say that, that, that this group has agreed to, to not only to give us the mountain, but to move the mountain pennies on the dollar. And soon after that, I've got a couple of pictures. Soon after that, for weeks, there were lines of pickup trucks on 528 coming onto this property all day long. Sometimes you'd see five or six at a time coming here. There would be 5,000 dump truck loads of dirt here, 60,000 cubic yards of dirt. The entire footprint of phase one of the building, the entire footprint of the parking lot, all of it raised three to four feet, the entire part of it. Uh, if, in fact, now if you go out and you get on the edge of the property or the edge of the parking lot, you can see it falls off three or four feet. At one point, I got curious. I thought, wow, is, is this really a mountain? So I got a topographical map of Friendswood. And, and this is the highest place in all of Friendswood, west of the creek. I mean, it's right here. Harvey, this is where we all should have come. I mean, this is the highest place. This is a mountain. And we began to call this place Mustard Seed Mountain. Because you see, God has been writing the story of the harbor all along. He's been doing that. It's never been about land and building. When we nearly had this building built out, it just concrete, carpets not, had not been laid down. We had a worship service. And toward the end, we gave everyone a, a marker, a marker, and uh, said, this is what we want to do now. We got this bare concrete, right on this concrete, the names. If everyone you've been longing and praying would come to know Jesus. And in a few days, we'll cover it up with carpet, but they'll be here forever. And so this, where you're sitting right now, this, this floor is covered with names of people. It's been covered with names because this is what matters. We built the second phase, and behind the sheetrock in several of the rooms, it's covered with names of more people that we've longed to know Jesus. We move in some years past, and I was here on a Sunday, and I saw a man who I knew his father had passed away that week. And so I went up to him just to express my grief with him of his loss. And he said, thank you so much, but, but I want to show you something. And he took me to a, a place here. I think it was in this area here. He said, beneath the carpet here, before the carpet's laid down, I, I wrote my dad's name down. Through the harbor, my dad met Jesus, and my dad's in heaven now because of what God's done through this church, the harbor. 
there have been so many stories. There have been a thousand memories. So many, you've heard some of the stories here. One of my favorite stories, uh, there's a lady here who loved Jesus deeply. Now, a few years into it, uh, her husband was an engineer, felt God's calling to be a pastor. He went to seminary, now pastors in Washington, D.C., Baltimore area now. But, but they were still here at that time, and she invited this friend of hers named Jean here. Sweet lady, but um, you know, that had no sense, no concept that Jesus might actually be more than a fairy tale. So she came, Jean came a few times, and she actually, she liked coming, she liked what was happening, and didn't know what to think about Jesus. And so we get to the offering one day that she's here, and she's thinking, I like the place, I think I'd like to support it, I'll put a few bucks in the offering place. So she reaches for her purse as the basket's coming to her. She's about to open it, she realizes that she left her cocaine just inside on top of her purse. She's thinking, if I open my purse to get the dollars, someone's going to see my co- cocaine, so she puts the purse down passes the offering plate, makes a mental note on Sundays, leave the cocaine at home. So she keeps coming back for, I'm not sure how long, several months, and somewhere along the way, and she's exposed to the love of Jesus. She realizes his love is for her. He would forgive every sin, give her a new life, and she gave her life to Jesus. And she became this shining, joy-filled, beautiful woman around here for several years before God moved her up north of Houston to help her parents out. But this shining example, what it means to be filled with Jesus, this deep impact, thousands, thousands of memories that are here. And, and over these years now, there have been over 1,300 people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus and had to change of eternal address. Got a couple of pictures of a couple of those celebrations. We could go through slides until the week is done. There's a, couple, a picture here. Got another picture to show you. 1,300 stories of God working in someone's life. And every single time when someone trusted Jesus, for the very first time, the story God had been writing for life, for the very first time, they stepped into his story. And they began to live out the story he had been writing for them all along, 1,300 people. But it wasn't just for people to just have faith and get heaven. God's dream for the harbor is people to become abandoned to Jesus. If you were here when we started, you heard Dana's story about him being in this lucrative career and coming to a point of saying to God, I, I, I'll give you access to everything. Even this job I love, it's so lucrative. And God, the time came when God said, okay, give it up. I've got new plans for you. And he left that career. Steve Shelby, who welcomed you this morning 14 years ago, was in a lucrative career. He loved with a passion. And he was blindsided by God, who said, walk away from it. I want you to serve full time. But it's not just the ones who've come on staff, and there are many who've given up much to come on staff. It's the hundreds and hundreds of volunteers, Wayne and Brenda, who have led small groups and been part of Open Door Ministry for years now, faithfully serving. Jan, a decade, 10 years in children's ministry, pouring her heart out upon kids and impacting them. Harold and Charlesy doing more ministries I can keep track of for years now. Jacob, a high school student who is deeply involved in student ministry, but also serving in BLAST children's ministry and touching lives for Christ in BLAST. It's Annabelle, deeply involved in student ministry, serving in in open-door ministry again and again, touching lives with the love of Christ. It's Haley, a young adult person who's leading a single small group, on and on and on. I know the names of 575 people in this church that I know are serving Jesus. In 1,200 different roles, I know them. But that's the tip of the iceberg because every follower of Jesus here who's entered his story, the story is for them to make a difference in their people making a difference in their home, 
in their neighborhood, in their school, in their work around the world. I mean, that's been God's dream, certainly for people to to be introduced to Jesus Christ, which is part of our mission. But the second half is to become fully devoted followers of him. That's God's dream and passion, and it's happening here. Pardon me. I don't know what it is, but my nose leaks when I get passionate about something. First service was really embarrassing because I'm halfway through, and I'm really passionate. It's really leaking, and my wife gets up, middle of my talk, and gives me some Kleenex. And the crowd almost applauded, like, thank you. I wanted someone to do that, so I'm going to do it myself this time. But I am passionate about this. In, in the beginning, there were these basic ministries that God launched, as you would expect. There, were, there was worship for every age, for kids, for students, for adults. There were small groups for every age, kids, students, adults. A few years in, we started men's ministry, we started women's ministry to, to touch men more deeply, women more deeply, just the stuff you would expect. But in, in recent years, this is what God's been doing. He's been taking some targeted ministries where, where there's such a deep need, he's been launching them. I can tell you the booth I was at in McDonald's in Elizabethan, Tennessee, we're on study break, far northeast corner of Tennessee. I could tell you the booth I was at when, when God launched this vision for what became Catalyst. I, I emailed the board and said, would you think with me? Would you pray with me? I came back and we thought and prayed a long time. It was, it was almost, uh, it was so difficult to birth it. Now we know why, because there have been, after we have men's and women's catalysts the next two months. There'll be over a 1,000 men and women. And to this day, it is the most powerful ministry God's ever launched here. Men, there are a few openings right now. This is, this is why God launched catalysts. He knows what deeply changes us, what actually brings many of us to trust his son Jesus. And as we trust him, brings us to abandon, is to deeply experience his love for you. And that's what he shaped Catalyst for, to be a place that if you haven't, if you haven't perceived that in a deep, life-changing way lately, that's what he created for. 2011, he launched Catalyst. I can tell you the, the tall table Rudy and I were at with a couple at McAllister's in Webster. It wasn't McDonald's. I'm not sure what was off on that, but it was, it was McAllister's in, in Webster, and this couple was telling us about this uh, nationally renowned marriage conference they'd been to. It was a great conference. It really deeply affected them. At one point, we said, well, well, what didn't go so well? And they began to tell us about two things that didn't go well. And as they did it, I could hear God saying, those are two of the strengths of the harbor. And, and I could hear him say, I want the harbor to start one of those. And so again, I came back to the board and said, would you think, would you pray, could you help me if this is what God wants? And so 2014 Infusion started You heard Evan and Amanda's story, one of many, many, many stories of of marriages being strengthened, made stronger, more intimate, more meaningful, some marriages literally being saved. At this point, 136 couples have been to infusion and now part of the ministry that spills out of infusion as well. And then for a decade, we had known, the board and I had known about a ministry in the Dallas area called Living Hope Ministry. It's a ministry that, that exists for Anyone who experiences same-sex attraction, man or woman, but wants to explore how Jesus would have them live with that attraction. And and Living Hope has this biblical perspective where God says sexual expression is is only to be in the merit between a husband and a wife in marriage only. And so there's this ministry there to help someone who wants to understand that and follow that with abandon, not only for ones who struggle, but for friends and family of those that do as well. 
So friends and family can show the deep love of Jesus to, to whoever may struggle. And as Jesus does, give all grace and also give all truth as well. And so somewhere along the line, and I know the board was so far ahead of me on this, but the board began to sense it. We think God wants the harbor to launch one of those here. And I think I was the last one to actually get that, but I could tell you I was in a McDonald's in Dallas one morning. <laughs> yeah, God's at McDonald's. If you haven't, <laughs> I put the burger down long enough and he's there. He's there, even with the burger there, he's there. Profoundly, very personally, God said this, I want the harbor to launch it. So in 2016, Harbor launched it, and now 130 people, right, deeply impacted by this ministry. Many of them, men and women who struggle with same-sex attraction, and they're saying, I don't know if what the culture is telling me is, is the way to go. I don't know if what the world says. Can you tell me what Jesus says? And if I want to follow what Jesus says, can you help me do that? And friends and family who, who know someone and love someone to learn how to love them well and bring all of grace and all in truth. And I can tell you this, in 2018, God's already begun to plant the seeds of another one of those laser ministries. Maybe it'd be the area in your life that it's still a stumbling block. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and, and yet there's a part that's just, it's not going well. Maybe it's going to be, this one's for you, maybe. And who knows, only God, he's writing the story, but maybe he'll continue launching these until every single need in this room is met. Every single day, he's the one who's writing the story. I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on our name changing from Princewood Community Church to the Harvard. 18 years in, we stepped back and realized that there are people coming here from, from a dozen towns. And we were learning increasingly that those that come from faraway towns, when they invite their neighbors to come here to Friendswood Community Church... They would consistently find this barrier that someone would say, well, that's cool, but I'm not part of the Friendswood community, so that's not my church. And, and we began to realize that, and so we just decided, well, obviously we need to change the name. And there were some people that said, whoa, that's a bold thing to do. That's courageous. Or maybe some were honest. That's a stupid thing to do. But to us, it was just logical because from the very beginning, we had this mindset. We call it a single barrier environment. What we meant by that, what we mean by that is, is we long for people to to authentically, clearly encounter Jesus. Nothing in the way of encountering him. For him to be the only barrier they encounter, that barrier being his claim upon their life. And so we've been living this way for 18 years, and we thought, well, if the name is a problem, change the name. <laughs> but we, we couldn't just change it to um, Church on the Hill. Right? I guess we could have, I guess. Mustard Seed Mountain Church or something, I guess. And so for months, many of us were praying about it, and to myself and the board, as it turned out to the church, it seemed God just dropped this name, the harbor out of heaven. And he seemed to say to us, you know what a harbor is. You live close to harbors. You know that a harbor is for ships that come in when they're broken down so they can be restored in the harbor. And a harbor is for ships that have run out of fuel so they can come into the harbor and be refueled. And then when they've been restored and they can be refueled, then they return back to see where they're meant to spend the bulk of their time, where their purpose is fulfilled. And he said, that's what I've been doing at this church from the very beginning. Broken people come into this church and, and they meet me here. All of us have come broken. And they meet me here and progressively, bit by bit, I'm, I'm restoring them increasingly to the very image of Jesus, my son. 
From the very beginning, people have come to this church, the harbor, and they meet me here, and I've been refueling them when they come in, weary and tired and worn. And then as they're being restored, they're being refueled, and I'm, I'm returning them to daily life with Jesus at the center. That's what this church has always been. And that's how we became the harbor, the place where people are restored and refueled and returned. God's going to continue writing the story of the harbor. Many of you, you follow Jesus, and this is your church, and I'm excited about this. You must know this. When you trusted Jesus, you entered his story. He was writing for your life. He's woven that into the harbor story. And what he does tomorrow to touch and change the life, he'll do through you. What he does next week is your story's woven into the story of the harbor. He'll use you next week and next month. And as long as you're in this place, if this is where you breathe your last and until you breathe your last, this is the place he's going to use you. You'll be the vehicle, you'll be the vessel, you'll be the person he uses to touch one more life who comes to know Christ and learns to grow and just abandon to Jesus Christ. And I know there are a number of you here that you have never given leadership of your life to Jesus. You've never become his follower. And maybe until today, maybe you never really understood that he has infinite love for you. And he fully died for every sin you've ever committed. Fully died, as Midge said so well, for every single sin you've ever committed. He's been writing your story, and the, the entry point of the story is for you authentically turning to Jesus and saying, would you forgive even my sins? Would you lead even my life? Here it is. How cool would it be if it would, the 20th anniversary of God's church that was the day you mark. That's the day I became his follower. That's the day my life began to change. That's the day my eternal address changed. How cool would it be? Why do you think God has you here? Why do you think he has you here today? I am so grateful for what God's done the first 20 years. But I'm filled with excitement about what he has planned for the next 20. And I, I want to end with with this comment, and I, I'm borrowing and paraphrasing something C.S. Lewis once said. 20 years now, this church, 20 years, and the 20 years, the 20 years is merely the very first sentence, the very first paragraph, the very first chapter of the many long chapters of, of this church, God's church, until the last chapter, which will read that Jesus comes back triumphantly. I mean, this is his church. He's just begun. He's just written the very first sentence. And now is the time to worship him and thank him and, and reflect upon what he's done and dream with him about what he plans for the future. Do you agree with that? Let me pray, and then we'll have a, some time to worship and thank him and celebrate him. Father, I cannot thank you enough for all that you've done. I cannot thank you for your dream, for your story that you're writing, for you launching the harbor, making it your church your story. I cannot thank you for all of us that you've deeply, profoundly touched all of the changes of eternal addresses, which means 1,300 plus will be in heaven that would not have been. And so many of us that maybe we're even heaven bound have found such a richer life following your son Jesus with increased abandon. I cannot thank you enough and cannot thank you enough for what you have yet to do. I really believe, Lord, you've just written the first sentence, the first paragraph, the first chapter of the many, many chapters that will end with this chapter of Jesus coming back. 
Father, Son, and Spirit, all glory, all worship, all praise to you. Amen.